get to begin Sefer Shemos today, which is very, very exciting. Um, there is, the truth is like, if we were going to do this the right way, then we would go through it in long form and, and it would be in, in categories, right? Cause you have, you have the introduction, which is the B'nai Yisrael again, which seemingly you already know. Why does that have to tell you that? But it does tell you that. And then the order is different. And that's also significant. And then it goes to into uh, nameless people that created the nation and the midwives. And, and there's so much there. So if we were doing this the right way, um, we would be doing that. But we don't have enough time to do that. So we're going to be very, very limited today. And, and I want to I want to focus, uh, at least in the beginning, I want to focus on the wizardry aspect. Um, there, it's inescapable. Um, I want to read to you a, a very, very famous medrash. It's brought in the Targum Yonis of Zeal, and it's brought in so many different medrashim. And I think that to read, to learn Parshas Shemos and uh, and ignore this is dishonest. Um, but then to learn it and to and to say, oh yeah, that makes sense to me. That that presents all sorts of other sorts of you know dishonesty issues and, and difficulties. So here here it goes. Um, Hakosh Baruch Hu is having this conversation with Moshe. And and he says you should go to you should go to Paro and tell him to take the Jews out and then and then Moshe says the people aren't going to believe me uh, they're going to say God never never appeared to you and and Hashem replies to Moshe Mazabiyadecha what's what's in your hand and Moshe says Vayomer Mate it's a it's a staff and Hashem says Hashlichayu Arza throw it down and he throws it down Vayhilin Achash and it becomes a snake Vayanas Moshe Imponav and Moshe runs away. So Moshe, this is not a stick that God gave Moshe. This is the stick that Moshe was using to shepherd like the, the flocks of Yisro, his father-in-law. This is his stick. <laughs> like it's not, it's not a stick that God gave him on Har Sinai. He already had it. Well, where did he get it? Where did he get it? So Pasuk says like this, unbelievable. It says that Moshe runs away. He runs away from, from Paro when he was going to kill him. And he goes to Midian. Now let's just understand, let's understand how far Midian is, okay? Midian is, it's not just uh, outside of the country of Egypt, it's on the other side of a desert. So you have like the end of the country of Egypt, and then you have a desert, and there are like people in between, and then you have Midian on the other side of that. There's a reason he's escaping the most, you know, the most powerful person in the world, so that makes a lot of sense. And he does in the typical Jewish fashion, when you come to a new place, you should uh, prop yourself down on the well by the Be'er, because that's where you meet, you know, certainly the ladies, and uh, the best kinds of people are all at the well. And uh, sure enough, there are, there are Reuel, Yisro, the Kohen Midian, his... Uh, his seven daughters show up at the well, and Egyptian men banish them. And Moshe gets up and he saves them. Uh, not, not Egyptian men, I'm sorry, Midianite men. Midianite, Midianite uh, Roim, shepherds, uh, shoo them away. And then Moshe helps them. The shepherds show up and, and, and shoo them away. And Moshe uh, shoos away the, the shoers, the bullies, and he, and he gives to drink to their, uh, to their flocks. So when they come home to rule their father, how come you're so quick today? And they say, oh, well, you know, there was this Egyptian man. There was this guy, this Egyptian man, and he saved us and he, and he watered our flock. He's like, well, where is he? I mean, you came home and he's not here. Like, why did you, why did you leave him alone? You should call him here and we'll have, we'll have dinner. I mean, it's the least you could do is bring him home for dinner. And everything that we're reading right now is just straight psukim before we get into any measures, just to see what the, what the actual psukim say to you. And Moshe wanted to, deigned to, live with the man. And he gave Zipporah, his daughter, as a wife, to Moshe. 
And she has a son, and they named him Gershon because I was a stranger in a strange land. Okay, that's the story. That's the story that the Torah tells you. Now listen to the Targum Yonason, it's unbelievable. The Targum Yonason says on, Vayoa Moshe Lasheves Es Ha'ish. Vayoa Moshe Lasheves Es Ha'ish. Just a moment. Yay, Sepharia. I owe them a large debt of gratitude. Vahava biyomaya. No, excuse me. When Reuel understood, when he learned that Moshe had run away from Paro and that he was on the lamb, Talak Yase Leguva, he captured him and put him in the dungeon in the attic. And Sipora, who is his granddaughter, granddaughter, not daughter, according to Targum Yoda's son, was Befarnesim, she was feeding him in secret. Bismani Sarte Shnin, for 10 years. Ulisofi Sarte Shnin, and at the end of 10 years, Afgeim Minguva, he let him out of the dungeon. Va'al Moshe begoi ginuniso de Ru'uel, and Moshe went into Ru'uel's garden, because, you know, he just, like, let him out of the dungeon, so the first place that you want to go is the garden, it's much more pretty than the dungeon. Va'avamodi umatsli kadam Hashem da'avadimei nisim igvurim. And he was davening to Hashem and thanking him for doing all these amazing miracles and, and strengths for Moshe. And he saw, he saw the staff that was created between the Shmashos, Erev Shabbos Ben Shmashos, in the primal seven days of creation. There in Ruel's backyard garden. Like no one had noticed it before. Oh my gosh. And not only that, but on this, on this staff, that is there in the planted in the in the garden of Reuel, that staff has etched into it the mystical name of God, the holy name of God. That with it, he was destined to do the wonders in Egypt. And eventually he was going to use it to split the sea. And to take water out of the rock. And it was sunk into the garden. And immediately, he reached out his hand, and he took it out. And then Moshe decided he wanted to live with the fellow. And he gave Zipporah, his granddaughter, to Moshe. What? <laughs> where, do you, where do you see that in the Pasuk? I don't understand. Like, you read the same Pasuk I read. The Pasuk said, That's what the Pasuk says. Where do you have this whole sword and the stone fantasy that this magic stick from the time of the seven days of creation is sank deep into the garden of Yisro? What does that mean? What does any of that mean? So, let's understand first how the Medrash and how the Targum knows that this is true. From what we said previously, Hashem calls out the staff that's in Moshe's hand. He calls it to him. He goes, Maza biyadecha. He identifies it. It's important. And subsequently, it is called Mateho Elokim, the staff of God. And yet it's clear that God never gave him said staff. And it wasn't called Mateha Lokim until that point. So it must be that he got it somewhere else. Where'd he get it? So let's go back. What is he doing now? He's managing the Tzon of Yisro. He's managing the assets of his father-in-law or grandfather-in-law, Reuel slash Yisro, the man has seven names. Okay. And in his garden, this Yisro Reuel fellow, in his garden, 
is this staff? What's it doing in his garden? Who is Reuel? Who is Yisrael? What do we know about him? He's the Kohen of Midian. He is the smartest man literally on the planet Earth. If you don't believe me that he's the smartest man on the planet Earth, let's go back to Paro. Paro is the most powerful man, this we know. And Paro has a problem. What's his problem? The Jews. He's got the Jewish problem. Well, anyone who's that high and mighty and powerful when he has a problem, which is the size and depth of the Jews, has to call in the big guns to deal with the problem. Who does he call? <laughs> Who do you think he calls for Havan Malo? Says the Gemara, says the Gemara, he's got three advisors for that. Bilam, Eov, and Yisro. These are the three finest minds in the world. In fact, if you look at the Targum, you find like many different Midrashim that are all saying kind of the same thing. Um, for example, it says, uh, if you look at the Targum Yonasan, he says that it's Yenis and Yambris, that the people that Paro spoke to were Yenis and Yambris. Who are Yenis and Yambris? They're the Talmidim of Bilam. The Midrash just identifies Bilam straight up. Who's the other guy? Yisro. Bilam, of course, on the one hand, is the one that Moshe is obsessed with and always worried about. And Yisro is the one that Moshe is obsessed with and not worried about, but rather he integrates Yisro inside. So these are two foils. This is who we're dealing with. Why is Yisro in Midian? I thought he was an advisor to Paro. Because the Gemara says he ran away from Paro when he said, no, you can't kill the Jews. When he came up with Havan Eschakmalo, Yisro said no. And since Yisro said no, he had to run away. Where did he run away to? Midian. Why did he run away to Midian? Like we said, it's on the other side of the desert. So not only does Moshe show up, Moshe shows up at the doorway of Yisro, and when Yisro finds out that he's running away from Moshe, what does he do? He puts him in a dungeon. There's a medrash that says they actually thought he could curry favor with originally with the other uh, with the local the local kingdoms by having Moshe as a fugitive in his in his dungeon. There is such a medrash, but he's doing the same thing that Yisro did. Yisro ran away from Paro because he couldn't get his head behind Havan Malo. That's who this Yisro fellow is. After he comes out, after he comes out that he's running away from uh, from Paro. Yisro puts him in this, in this dungeon. Who is feeding him? So this, I think, is a very, very cool thought. Well, if he's in, what did the Medrash say? The Medrash said he's in an aliyah, which means he's up there. He's up there in an attic. So if it's an attic, he's in a tower. You can't get there. Moshe's not Rapunzel. So how, so how does his daughter or his granddaughter, how does she feed him? How does she sneak him food if he's in the dungeon? So one way, one way is you could say, well, what do you mean? She knows the guards, she's the granddaughter, she can come in and out of the dungeons as she pleases. Although I would probably counter to you that anybody that knows anything about dungeons knows that he doesn't let his little granddaughter go into the dungeon. So like, that's very, it sounds very far-fetched, but I wasn't there. But I'll tell you much more simply. I'll tell you so much more simply how she feeds him. What's her name? What's her name? Her name is Sipora. How do you think she feeds him? With the birds, which is exactly the same way as we know, how does Eliyahu get food when he's hanging out in Chorev on Har Sinai when there's a, when there's a famine? The answer is, of course, the birds. Like Hashem sends the birds to feed Eliyahu, and and here is the daughter of Yisro who uses birds to feed Moshe when he's when he's put away, when he is taken out of the dungeons. He goes into the garden of Yisro, the wisest man in the world. The advisor to Paro, the Kohen of Midian, the man that the Medrash tells us and the Gemara says, tried every single possible Avodah out and rose to the absolute tippity top of every single philosophy out there on planet Earth. That's who Yisro is. Yisro is not some religious figure. He's an anti-religious figure. Yisro is a guy who can master all of the philosophies that are out there. That guy, what do you think his garden means? What's Yisro's garden? Yisro is... Master Shifu. Yisro becomes Moshe's Rebbe. Vayoel Moshe Lasheves Esaish. 
There's a machlokas in the medrash as to what the word vayoel means. Rashi brings several different shots. One possibility is he wanted to. Vitsavi, he wanted to. Well, yeah, he wanted to. Okay, why do you have to tell me he wanted to? Just say that he did. I say that he did. Vayeshev Moshe Ito. Moshe dwelt with him. That's not the point. The point is that he wanted to. Because he didn't go there to marry his daughter. He went there because of him. And the man gave his daughter to Moshe. Says the Medrash that, that Yisrael always had this staff in the middle of his gun, and all of the young suitors, all of the young suitors would come to him because whoever could pull out Excalibur from the stone could marry his daughter Tzipora. But none of them were able to do it. None of them were Matzliach. And then in walks Moshe and immediately he perceives it and he pulls it right out and he gives him, and he gives him his daughter Tzipora as a wife. So we're not talking about, let's just understand, we're not talking about a magic stick. Maybe we are, maybe we aren't. But that's not the point. That's not the idea that the Torah is trying to tell you. The Torah is trying to relate to you that the reason that Moshe wants to be here is because of the man that Yisro is. And the Medrash is saying that in the garden of Yisro, in the Gan, the Ginunisa of Yisro, in the very center of it is something that no one can master. No one can master this idea. And whoever can master this idea can marry the daughter of Yisro and can incorporate the future generations of who will become Yonadav ben Rechav and the Bnei Akeni. But no one succeeds in doing that until Moshe does. Moshe succeeds in doing that. So now let's understand for a moment what it is that the Mata is, what it, what it signifies. So just like a very basic question. They're, very, they're not a philosophical question, a textual question. Why is the word for staff and bed the same? Mate, mita. Why is it the same word? Staff and bed. It's a stick and a bed because a bed is made of sticks. <laughs> Probably not. The idea is the idea is, because if you were looking at humans from like the outside, okay, so you're whatever alien civilization, and you look at humans, humans don't go to sleep, like you turn them off. You know, you have, you have humans, and then you go, mm, click. Human has two settings, on and off. You turn him on, and he, you know, walks around and does his thing, and then you turn him off, and what does he do when he's turned off? He sleeps. He sleeps. You literally turn him that way and put him on a shelf. You put him on the shelf for the next day, on the bed. You turn him. That's what mata means. Mata means to turn. The word mata means to turn. Now, I know that people will tell you that it means to lean, but I'll tell you what the difference is between to turn and to lean. I don't think it means to lean a certain way and to be bent. I think it means that everything, every concept, every person, every situation has, has two different aspects to it. It's deeper fundamental is, whatever the thing really, really is, and then how it happens to manifest today. I'll give you many examples of this. The mate is something that turns it from one stage to the other, from the awake to asleep, so to speak, from what it, fundament from what it looks like to what it fundamentally is. That's what a mate is, which means I'm going to posit the following, the following key, that the mate only does one thing. It only does one thing. It shows you what's really there. That's what the mata does. It turns it from what it looks like to what it is. It doesn't change the thing. It doesn't make a miracle and change the water to blood. That is not the point. The point is that the water is bloody. It's a muck toxic waste dump of a Nile that you think looks gorgeous, because after all, it does look gorgeous, but that's a veneer. That's not what the Nile River is. Do you know what the Nile River is? It's a sparkling clean 
2023 functional crematoria. That's what the Nile River is. So when you're mate, when you turn the mate on the Nile River, you don't turn the Nile River to blood. The Nile River is dam. That's the point. So if that's what a mate is, then let's imagine what we would understand if there was not this mate. It doesn't mean staff. It means turner. It means turner. It's what the word means. So again, mate, to turn. Mita, bed, you turn. What does underneath mean? On top of is limala, and what's underneath? Limata. Underneath is limata, because just turn it right over. That's what limata means. We say in halacha, the pasuk says, how do you know, like the Sanhedrin has 71 members. So how do you know what the truth is? You take a vote. And if it's 36 to 35, then we go with the 36. How do you know we go with majority rules? It doesn't say majority rules. It says achrei rabim lehatos, to turn. Because the halacha is not one or the other. The idea of whatever question you're asking is both. There's the base Shammai of it and there's the base Hillel of it. And they're each parts of one idea. But you have to do a primary switch of one or the other. It has to be either on or off, this way or that way. What we call that is achrei rabim lehatos, to turn. So you turn the halacha that we will do after the rabim, after the majority. But that's not all. That's not the entirety of the halacha. So if you look through a sugya, we hear this all the time from children. I'll come home and they'll say, you know, yeah, I learned about this and such and such a machlokas. Rabbi Meir says this. Rabbi Yehuda says this. Like, I really like what Rabbi Meir says. Rabbi Yehuda doesn't make any sense. You don't understand nothing. You understand nothing. You have to understand what they both say. And you understand what they both say. They both make beautiful, elegant sense. At that point, you can choose to do one or the other. That's what the mate is. So now let's go back and let's see if this works. When the Pasuk says, Moshe He wanted to. He lived. He swore. Each one of those things that the Medrash and the Gemara bring are true. Yes, he wanted to live with him. Why did he want to live with him? Because he was his sensei, because he taught him everything, because that's who Yisro is. This wisest man who can show you all of the different ideas about how you're supposed to be, because you have to understand everything in order to understand anything. That's one reason. Another thing is he swore. What did he swear? Rashi says, Lashon of Allah. But he's quoting the Gemara. Vayoa is Lashon of Allah. He swears two things. He swears, first of all, that he won't leave. Why? You're, you're here with me. You're going to be staying here in, the, uh, in the, the temple of Shaolin. You're not going anywhere until you ask me for Rishos to go back there. Number one. Number two. It says, I'm smashing, so Rashi, to, to say this is like so, it's so sacrilegious. Like, of course, nobody, nobody would believe that this is true, except for the fact that the Gemara says it's true. <laughs> like, otherwise, you'd never believe what I'm about to tell you. The Gemara says he swore to Yisro that his first son would be raised doing a photozara. So the first Rashi, so first, like, what, you, what, what? He swore to Yisro, he swore an oath to Yisro that his son would be raised doing a Vodazara. How could that be? And the answer is, what do you mean? Who do you think Yisro is? Yisro is Moshe, you can't like raise your kid as a religious Jew and teach him like monkey see, monkey do and think that that's what Judaism is. Think he's gonna understand anything about truth because you train him in a certain way like a robot? I understand this is quoted Mount and Torah, but that's not the point. Understand who Yisro the man is and understand what Moshe agreed to in order to live there and to learn from him and to get this staff, which is in the center of the Gan of Reuel. Understand that. So all of these, all of these pshatim are in one word of Vayoel. Why? Because otherwise, why is that Pasuk even there? Pasuk doesn't belong there. 
It's only there to tell you that this is a pivotal moment in the life of Moshe because it forms Moshe into who he is. How? By giving him the ability to turn things. How does he turn them? He has such clarity and understanding that he sees things for what they are. He sees the matrix. He sees the green. That's what Moshe sees. They say, well, why isn't it just enough for Moshe to walk into Paro and say, tomorrow morning, Hashem says, Ko amar Hashem, tomorrow morning, if you don't let the Jews go, I'm turning all the water into blood. That's not the point. Right? He could have done that. That would have worked just fine. We were just fine. You say, no, because if you didn't sit there with a the stick, then you wouldn't know it was him. Give me a break. You wouldn't know it was him. If I walk in tomorrow, I say, hey, tomorrow the Pacific Ocean is going to sprout mountains in the middle of it. And it happens to. Yeah, but you didn't use a stick sprung, so we don't know if it was you. Give me a break. Like, of course, you know, it's like Rishbaro, if he says, call him Hashem, and the next day it all happens anyway. Of course, you know that. And you know that for sure, because there's no, there's no mate by, by Makas Bechoros. It's Koam Hashem, right? So obviously it's not the point. So what's the point? The point is, it's not Moshe who's doing it. And the point is, nothing is happening to the thing. It's not God is determining and decreeing to smite the Nile River. The point is that I'm going to show you what the Nile is by turning the switch on the Nile from what it looks like to what it is. You know what it is? It's a, it's a concentration camp. You know what it looks like? It looks like Disney World. It's beautiful. It's the, the seat of Egyptian majesty and commerce. Everything is about the Nile. Their, their religion is built into it. Their history is built into it. It's a toxic waste dump. It's Chernobyl. The Nile is Chernobyl. So now let's go back to what Akash Baruch Hu says to Moshe on the mountain. Moshe says to Akash Baruch Hu, The Jews won't believe me. This is after, this is after, he says to him, Who am I to go? Who am I to go to Paro and to take the Jews out of Egypt? So you understand that's two questions. One question is who am I? And the other question is who are they? <laughs> like, why do the Jews deserve to get out of, uh, of Israel anyway? And the Gosh says to Moshe, because I'll be with you. Which means, I'll be with you. And this is the, and this is for you the sign that I sent you. When you come out of Egypt, you will worship Hashem on this mountain. So we said that, that's, a, I mean, that's, a, that's a horrible sign. It's like, how do you know? So you say to a girl, say, my love, you should marry me because uh, it's been ordained by heaven. And she says, well, how do I know? Give me a sign. He goes, the sign is after we get married, you'll see that we're perfect together. <laughs> so that's not a good, it's not a very convincing sign. You know, I don't think you're going to, you might, yeah, I don't know. So what's the Kush, again, what's the Kush Baruch saying to him? It doesn't make any sense. Right, that, that, that should bother you. That question should bother you. So, in order to understand, in order to understand that question, we have to understand another word here. We've already understood, I think, the beginning of what it is that the mata is and what it is that the mata does. And now let's understand what an os is. Because we're about to familiarize ourselves with osos and mosim. And these are different things. An of is not a mofes and a mofes is not an os. So what's the difference? Why do you need two different ones? Seems like they're all just, you know, supernatural. Why do I need different, like, you know, you're going to get legalese with me with, like, the, the different words? Like, why? Why does it matter? The reason it matters is because their function is not the same. The function of an os is not the function of a moface. The word os means a symbol. It's not a miracle. It's a symbol. A symbol of what? It's a statement. When you say that the bris mila is an os, or that tefillin is an os, or that shabbos is an os, it means you're coming out in a certain type of uniform. It's obvious that this person plays 
uh, lacrosse, because he's wearing a lacrosse uniform. That's an os that he's a lacrosse player. That's what os means. It's a symbol of what is. That's why the word is related to the word s. It is the thing. An os is the thing. That's what osos are. So, when Hashem says to Moshe, Moshe's question wasn't, how do I know it's going to work? That's silly. That's a ridiculous question. Hashem said, do it. Of course it's going to work. He's the strongest bully in the yard. That wasn't Moshe's question. Moshe's question was, Who am I? Why me? Doesn't have to be me. Go pick a Yankee. Why me? And I Baruch Hu says, Ah, 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 ah. Here's how you know the os, that it's got to be used specifically, is because when the Jews come out of Egypt, they're going to worship Hashem in the place where you and I had our first conversation, because it's all about you. Not how are they going to know. That's absurd. It's not going to prove anything to them. I'll tell you what you could tell them in a minute. You want the os, that it's about you? The connection is going to be you, is because we're all going to get married in the place where you and I had our first date. That's the os. That's So, after he says that to Moshe, so Moshe then pivots and he says, he, he brings out a different taina. And he says, They're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me. You said, you said, I should go tell them this, but they're not going to believe me. What's in your hand? Throw it down. What does it become? Nachash. Becomes a snake. The snake. It becomes a snake. Well, well, why does it become a snake? So what does Rashi say? So Rashi, but that's not to scare him, right? If you want to scare him, it should have become a, a dinosaur. <laughs> so it's a snake. King Kong is definitely much scarier than a, than a snake, although I admit that snakes are scary enough. It, the point is, it's specifically a snake. So Rashi explains, because he was topfist the mice and Nachash. He was doing what the Nachash did. You were ascribing evil motivations where you needn't have said that. They will believe you, as a matter of fact. Why are you saying that they're not going to? You think they're bad. You think they're nefarious. They're not. They're not. So you throw it down. What does it become? Well, we just said that the mate reveals what is there. It turns it from one of its states to another, from the way that it presents to what it fundamentally is. Well, who's the only guy in the room? The only guy in the room is Moshe. So it turns into a snake because Moshe was toefaced the Maisa Nachash. So that's what the mate becomes immediately. It becomes a Nachash. Well, well. Let's go talk about what happens in next week's Parsha when it says that Akash Baruch Hu says, throw down, throw down the stick in front of Paro, Yehila Tanin, and it'll become a Tanin. Well, a Tanin is not a Nachash. Everyone thinks that the stick became a snake, but the stick couldn't have become a snake because it uses a different word for snake. The Torah says Nachash over here, and the, and the Torah says Tanin over there. But of course, of course we know that the Navi says, the Navi calls Paro Hatanim Hagadol. It's the great crocodile. I think it's a crocodile. The, the great crocodile. Leo Rivaniasitini. The the Nile is mine and I made myself. Paro looks at himself as Hatanin Hagadol. And therefore, when you throw the stick in front of Paro, what will it become? A tanin, not a nachash. Because Paro's not a nachash. He's a tanin. Okay. So now, once again, let's see if we can recap this. This entire idea, put it, uh, put a nice little bow on it. Say, why does Moshe need, why does Moshe need a magic wand? Well, clearly not to make things happen because you don't need a wand to make things happen. So that can't be why. 
Furthermore, why not just say that Hashem says tomorrow, this is what's going to happen to the river, and that's what happens. So it must be that it's not about making the river this and that. The point is to make a point. The point is to illustrate what the river is, and what the frogs are, and what the Egyptian are. The point is to show what's actually happening here, to admit, to admit to the tragedy that you're doing, that you're creating every single day and have been for hundreds of years. That's the idea. The idea is to take the perception of people and to turn it, because the word matem means to turn. But it doesn't mean to turn from one thing into another thing. It means to turn it from one position into another position. So we have the human who stands and we have the human who, who goes to bed on the mate. You have something that's on top and you have something that's on the bottom, which is lamata. We, when you take them, so again, why does it have to be a mate? It has to be a mate because you're not making something happen. You're showing what already is. That's the purpose of the mate. Where does Moshe gain the ability to use the mate? In Yisro's house. In Yisro's garden, he is the only one who is able to master all of the wisdom of Yisro. And because he's able to do that, Yisro gives him his daughter, his daughter Tzipora, the daughter that had taken care of Moshe through all those years when he was in the dungeon from running away from Paro. How does she take care of him? Tzipora. She uses the birds and the birds feed him. Is that clear? Crystal clear. <laughs> good. Crystal clear. Crystal clear. Okay, good. Baruch Okay, now um, the final coup, again the coup de grace with the with the os of Moshe. So Moshe is told, Moshe is told to do osos with the mata. The mata will do the os. Why? Because the os, as we said, is a symbol of what something is and what something stands for. So of course the mata is that which changes things into its underlying form. So you could see what it is. It does the osos, which is why Hashem literally tells Moshe and take the staff because with it you will do the osos because a mate does osos. That's why the vahi needs the mate. So now let's just, just off. So for Moshe again, so for you, the symbol, the symbol that it had to be you was the place where we are all collectively going to have the chuppah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu during Matan Torah is the place where you and I, Moshe, had our first conversation by the snack, which is why it's on Har Sinai, in Midbar Sinai. It's all named after the bush. The word means snare. Sinai is snare. It all comes back to the first date with Moshe Rabbeinu. So now let's see what happens when Moshe takes, when Moshe takes the stick and he puts his family on the camel and they ride out and they ride out towards Egypt. Well, what happens immediately? All of a sudden, there's a snake in the car and the snake attacks Moshe. And Rashi says, right, quoting again the famous Medrash, that there was this snake that swallowed Moshe from his head all the way down to his bris and then left and then took up all the way from the bottom and up to the bris again. You're like, well, why did anyone put a snake in the station wagon? And the answer is, what are you talking about? The puzzle just told you that there was a snake in the, in the station wagon because the snake is not the snake. The snake is the snake. And when Moshe doesn't gemald, when he doesn't do Milan, his kid immediately, bam, it turns into a nachash and it attacks him immediately because he has the snake literally in the front seat right next to them, right in the cup holder. That's what the mate is. So hopefully we have a little bit more of an understanding now about what osos are and about why it had to be a mate and about how he got it from the Gan of Yisro and why it had to be specifically Yisro. And we'll learn a lot more about the difference between Bilam and Yisro. And uh, yeah, good things to come. So that's what's up. <laughs> good Shabbos.